This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. New information tonight on a breaking story out of Burnaby where an RCMP officer has been killed in the line of duty. It happened as the officer approached the campsite of a homeless person this morning. Our Kamal Kuramali is live with more on this breaking story and how it all unfolded. Kamal. Chris, uh, in the past hour, we have learned the name of the Burnaby RCMP officer killed in this fatal stabbing. Constable Shaylin Yang is 31 years old. She's from Richmond, B.C., and uh, police have described her as kind and passionate. She is a wife, a sister, and a daughter, and she's also part of the mental health and outreach team with the Burnaby RCMP. Now, this is what we know so far in terms of a timeline line at around 11.05, Constable Yang was stabbed uh, this morning. Now, multiple residents told me they heard gunfire as well. The officer died in hospital. We're still trying to collect details about her, but we know she was assisting bylaw officers with a call to a homeless campsite at a park. Our Global News cameras could see one lone orange tent almost directly behind the parking lot of the Burnaby School District headquarters. Now, neighbors also say that small tent has been there for weeks at the very least. Some have said at least a few months, but that there is no encampment or multiple tent-like structures at the park, just that one lone tent. Meanwhile, several police services are taking the time to remember uh, Constable Yang. Approximately 11.05 a.m., Constable Yang, who was partnered with the Burnaby Bylaw officer, was engaged in her duties at a homeless camp on Gilmore Way. An altercation took place and Constable Yang was fatally stabbed. Emergency responders attended the scene and despite their best efforts, Constable Yang succumbed to her injuries. The suspect associated to this file was shot and injured. They remain in hospital with long life-threatening injuries. There was a large police response, as you can imagine, this morning and a large police presence throughout the day. These officers have a very daunting and difficult task of trying to investigate what transpired that led to this fatal stabbing, but also doing it with heavy hearts, uh, losing one of their own. And uh, we know that grief counseling is also being offered to the officers. Meanwhile, the Independent Investigations Office is also investigating a police-related uh, shooting or a police-involved shooting related to this incident. And we'll try to learn more about that as uh, much of these details unfold. Back over to you for now. All right, thanks for that. Kamal Karmali reporting in Burnaby. Obviously a difficult day, especially for Burnaby RCMP, who just a short time ago addressed the media about the tragedy today. Our Julie Nolan is live at the Burnaby RCMP detachment with more on what is obviously a devastating loss for the members there. Julie. 
Yeah, Sophie, uh, there is profound sadness here with the investigation of the death of this officer being called one of the most heart-wrenching duties that an officer ever has to undertake when it's one of their own. Flags have been lowered to half-mast and uh, we saw officers and their leaders experiencing visible signs of grief. They talked fondly about Constable Shailen Yang, just 31 years old and only serving here for three years. The chief superintendent says the entire department is struggling to come to terms with her death. Here's what was said about her passion for serving others. Constable Yang lived in Richmond and she was an active volunteer. She started her career volunteering part-time in the city of Richmond and later full-time in that city. In 2019, she became a police officer in her depot in June of that same year. She graduated in December as a member of Troop 8 and was posted to Burnaby Detachment. She was a loving wife, a sister, and a daughter. Officers are expressing sincere condolences to her family, adding that she paid the ultimate price for her service. And as you can imagine, this kind of death hits officers quite hard, as Kamal mentioned, and so counselling and other supports are being offered to them. Back to you. All right, thanks. All right, thanks for that. Uh, Julie Nolan uh, reporting at the Burnaby RCMP detachment and that photo of Constable Shailen Yang just released by the Burnaby RCMP. Again, 31 years old, described today as a wife, a sister, a daughter, and killed in the line of duty today. All right, Keith Baldry is standing by live now. And Keith, Public Safety uh, Minister Mike Farnworth got quite emotional today talking about this case. Public safety was a big issue. Many people voted that way during the recent civic elections. And, and also the, the Premier weighed in on this case today as well. Yeah, this isn't a political thing here today. Even though street crime and uh, victim uh, random violence has been the dominant political issue in this session today, this was one, uh, uh, basically a moment of shock for MLAs here when they found out about the senseless slain. We did catch up to Public Safety Minister Mike Farnsworth, who's the number one char in charge of policing. He did get emotional. And Premier John Horgan, again, as he was about to leave office, expressing his concern and his sympathy for the victim's family. This is absolutely um, awful, horrible, terrible tragedy. Um, you know, we have thousands of men and women in uniform, police officers who go about their job every day uh, protecting people in our province. And this is absolutely the worst news uh, that um, could happen. Um, and our hearts go out to the, the officer's family, the, um, the friends, the police officers every day who put their lives on the line. Um, this is just absolutely the worst thing that, you, that could happen. We ask these people, men and women, to go where we would not go ourselves, and we need to stand with them. And uh, my deepest condolences to the family and all of the colleagues within the RCMP and, and public safety and law enforcement across the province. These are the days when families go, have we made the right choice? And I, I say thank you for your continued service and your continued commitment to protecting British Columbians. I also talked to two other Burnaby MLAs today, uh, Child Care Minister Katrina Chen and Speaker Raj Shohan. Again, both of them in shock of what's happened in their community. They're both representing Burnaby, and they too express their condolences uh, to the members' family here. Quite a shock at the BC Legislature today. Yeah, those thoughts coming in from all over the place. Thanks, Keith.
Jagmeet Singh, leader of Canada's NDP and member of parliament for Burnaby South, saying this in a tweet this afternoon. Heart-wrenching news today of the killing of an RCMP officer in Burnaby. My condolences to their fellow officers, family and loved ones. This is an unimaginable loss in the line of duty. And of course, it's very rare to hear about an officer dying in the line of duty in this province. But one former Mountie and longtime member of the Burnaby RCMP knows all too well the dangers on the job. I was shocked. I mean, I, I, I recall the same sort of experience a number of times during my career. It leaves you very empty, and uh, it's hard to describe it. It's one of those feelings you don't want to ever have again, but they do occur. Well, back in 1977, I was shot and held hostage for about three and a half minutes with my own uh, service revolver. It was an experience that I can tell you uh, changed my life and changed the way I viewed things. Just maybe, I don't know, say a prayer for the police officers that are there today that have survived this, but are going to go through a lot in the coming weeks. All right, turning to other news now, there is an update to the top 25 most wanted fugitives across Canada. And number one on that list is from B.C. Police say his crimes include murder, drug trafficking, gun violence and organized crime. As Grace Key reports, he escaped from a Metro Vancouver prison nearly three months ago. Take a good look at this face. Information leading to his arrest could net you up to a quarter million dollars. It's an unprecedented reward for BC. But we also know that $250,000 or $250, is a lot of money. For most people, $250,000 would be life-changing. If you know where Rabil Al-Khalil is, we don't need your name. We don't need your location. We just need to find him. Robbie Akalil has been convicted twice for murder and has ties to organized crime. In July, Akalil escaped from the North Fraser Pretrial Centre in Port Coquitlam with the help of two others posing as contractors. He was standing trial for the 2012 murder of gangster Sandeep Dure at the Sheraton Wall Centre in downtown Vancouver. After his escape, a jury found him guilty. This reward will be paid if the information provided led to the arrest of Mr. Al-Khalil, period. There are no other conditions. And as always, you'll get your money quickly. But don't forget, all our rewards expire. The reward in the Al-Khalil case is only available until May 1st, 2023. Akhalil is listed as the number one fugitive in Canada's top 25 most wanted in the BOLO program. Be on the lookout. Some have ties to the Lower Mainland. Five others are from BC and the Yukon, including Amandreep Singh Rai, wanted in Surrey on 17 charges, including sexual assault. He was arrested in uh, 2021 um, in April and then later released in May on court-imposed conditions. It's alleged that he failed to appear for subsequent court dates and uh, therefore a warrant was issued for his arrest. Law enforcement is hoping Akhalil's days on the run are numbered. The last number one suspect on the BOLO program was arrested within 12 hours of the top 25 launch. Grace Key, Global News. Police have now identified the man who was gunned down at the University Golf Course on Monday morning. 38-year-old Vishal Walia was found with gunshot wounds just before 10 a.m. He died a short time later. Police believe his death was targeted and connected to the Lower Mainland gang conflict. About 10 minutes after Walia was shot, 
A vehicle was found on fire on West 20th Avenue near Crown Street. IHIT says it's still trying to figure out if the burning vehicle was connected to the shooting. Anyone with information or dash cam video is asked to call police. Well, freedom didn't last long for a Vancouver man with a long and troubled history with the law. Mohammed Majidpour has a long rap sheet, including accusations of uttering a racial slur and hitting a 19-year-old woman with a pole. Majidpour was arrested Saturday and released from jail Sunday at around 3 in the afternoon. The same officers who arrested him Saturday spotted Majidpour near Maine and Hastings. They followed him to a store in the downtown core where they allege Majidpour stole $330 worth of leggings. He was rearrested just two hours and 18 minutes after his release. According to the VPD, he remains in custody facing a charge of theft. All right, let's celebrate the good things in this world. This is the second day of Variety Week and we're sharing stories of amazing children and how Variety with your donations have changed or impacted their lives. You will notice the names along the bottom of your screen. Those are donors who have stepped up to help Variety help kids. And when you call 310 Kids during tonight's newscast, your name will be added to that list and your donation will be doubled up to $20,000. Thanks very much to Accent Inns for that. So, the deal is done, but it wasn't easy. The new contract for BC general workers passed by the slimmest of margins, and experts weigh in on what that means for a province negotiating new deals with other unions coming up. That's next on the News Hour. Too close to call in Canal Flats. What happens when the civic election ends in a tie? And Variety Week continues with how your donations helped a young boy get the education that's best just for him a little later. Right now, though, members of the BCGEU have ratified a deal with the province with a very slim approval rate. There are still a couple of other unions at the bargaining table with the provincial government, and Richard Zussman takes a look at how this new deal affects those still to be negotiated. Approving the deal, barely. And the 53.4% ratification says that we've got more work to do. Solidarity! So, so, so. What the work that's left to be done is, is unclear. But it's clear BC General Employee Union members aren't thrilled with the deal reached following a strike at liquor distribution centres. Members voting 53% in favour of the new contract with 46.6% voting against, just 71% turnout. In the deal, a 3.24% raise in the first year plus 25 cents per hour increase, a 6.75% raise in year two and a 3% raise in year three with an additional 0.25% flexibility allocation in the first two years. Wage increases are always what gets the most notice and makes headlines. Um, and were the general wage increases exactly what we were looking for? Absolutely not. That sentiment is expected to carry over to other unions. While the BCGU and the BC Hospital Employees Union do have ratified three-year deals, the teachers don't. And the BC Teachers Federation was back at the negotiating table Tuesday. Every table is unique and we put together a shared recovery mandate, recognizing that we are in a, uh, a I guess, a uh, inflationary time right now. The ability to pay versus or versus uh, what may be asked for is going to have to intersect at some point and, and uh, get very difficult for the government. What do we need? More nurses. When do we want 
The BC nurses are also working without a deal. Those negotiations will unfold this fall with a potential. Both teachers and nurses could be looking at job action or strikes. You add into the mix uh, one of the NDP leadership candidates' commitments to nurses within their platform um, and, and the expectation level I think will start to rise and then the Me Too clauses all start to kick in. Those Me Too clauses would mean other public sector unions get the raise as well, setting up those possible expectations that could cost the province billions of dollars. Richard Zospin, Global News, Victoria. All right, now to the contentious NDP leadership race. And Global News has obtained an internal document recommending that BC NDP leadership hopeful Angelia Potterai be disqualified from the race. Now, though, the party executive has to decide what to do with that recommendation. Richard Zussman is live with the breaking details on this story. Richard. Sophie, we just obtained this document here. It outlines the recommendations from Elizabeth Cole. She is the chief electoral officer in this leadership race. And in it, as you mentioned, uh, she recommends that Upper Durai gets disqualified from the leadership race. There will be a vote tomorrow, just after 6 o'clock, uh, of the Provincial Council. The expectation is that they will vote vote in favor of the recommendation that would mean that David Eby will become the next premier of British Columbia let me read to you a little bit of the recommendations under the section disqualification because no other remedy can adequately address the failings and breaches of the Pitterai campaign in this leadership election contest. The CEO has reached the difficult conclusion that Ms. Pitterai should be disqualified as a candidate. In their opinion, the improper coordination with third parties, primarily Dogwood, played such a significant role in the Pitterai campaign that it is impossible to create a level playing field at this point and thus impossible to restore the leadership election campaign to a state of integrity in which I could have confidence. There was also a consideration given to disqualifying all of the NDP members signed up after August 7th, but ultimately Cole concluded that many legitimate people joined the party at that point and it would become extremely complicated. We'll obviously, Sophie, have a lot more on this tomorrow, especially from how that vote goes. But it looks like by tomorrow evening, we could have a new Premier of British Columbia, at least in name. And I somehow doubt that'll be uh, the last we hear of Angelia Paderai, uh, <laughs> yeah. no matter what happens tomorrow. All right, thanks for that, Richard. And just ahead, owners who lost their dream homes suffer another setback. I have not been living here for over three and a half years now. His million-dollar views now worthless. Why residents forced to abandon the neighborhood are now being sued by their government. Also tonight, a one-on-one -on -one interview with Vancouver Mayor-elect Ken Sim, who might get some help from Surrey to fulfill a major campaign promise. Traffic is steady both ways at the Patello Bridge tonight with just a bit of congestion on the Columbia on-ramp to head south through a charitable partnership between Kermac Cares for Kids and Surrey Memorial Hospital. When you choose Kermac Collision and Autoglass, you also support the Surrey Memorial Children's Health Centre. I'm Trish Jewison in the AM730 in the Global Traffic Centre. This portion of the program is brought to you in part by Accent Inns. Stay different, stay real. 
Well, the homeowners who lost everything when their Seychelles neighborhood was declared unsafe are now being sued by their municipality. As Aaron MacArthur reports, to them it feels like another painful insult as they finally get approval to go back in and see what's left of their dream homes. Oh, my fridge is in my driveway. Every time Ed Pednaud visits his home, he finds more vandals. Oh, my dishwasher's out. Hello? That wasn't like that before. It's the same at his neighbor's homes, too. What the hell is that? A chain-link fence around his neighborhood keeps everyone out except the looters. You get desensitized when you come in here and you, 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 you look at it every once in a while. You, if you, it just looks like somebody else's house after a while. Outside, the damage is harder to see. But the roads have buckled. Stairs have shifted. The ground remains unstable. As the homeowners continue to fight for compensation, the district of Seashelt has hit them with two crushing civil suits. In our lawyer's opinion, it's, a, it's an attempt to coerce us into dropping some of the lawsuits that we have against the district of Seashelt right now. So it, they're just trying to bully us. The district has refused to comment on Sea-Watch almost from day one. And a statement issued Monday takes up just eight words. The district will decline to discuss ongoing litigation. But the notice of civil claim speaks volumes, seeking what could be millions in damages. One notice of claim states the defendants are obliged and liable to save the district harmless and indemnify the district for the amount of any lost claims paid. The second notice of claim goes after the homeowners to repair all the infrastructure in the subdivision. The defendants would be obliged at their expense and to the satisfaction of the district, repair, remove, restore, replace, or stabilize any structure, landscaping, utility, or road infrastructure. No dollar figures have been given. We are still hoping that the district of Seashelt comes to the table and sits down with us and just talks to us. Maybe take the lawyers out of it, let's just talk. So, but with no end in sight to the there, legal but, challenges, um, there appears to be little appetite for a negotiated solution. Harold MacArthur, Global News. Still ahead, school liaison officers making a comeback. Kids confide in the officers. They, they've done it for years. Why Ken Sim wants them back in Vancouver schools. Also tonight, the political quirk in Canal Flats. Why it had trouble calling a winner in the local election. Join Variety, the children's charity, and Global BC as we celebrate Variety Week October 17th to 21st. Tune in to Global News as we share stories that highlight the hope your help can bring. Variety Week on Global BC. Still pretty busy for eastbound traffic on Highway 1 through Burnaby this evening with delays and congestion at merge points like Willingdon and Kensington. Today's Lotto Max jackpot is an estimated $70 million plus an estimated 62 max millions. Lotto Max, dream to the max. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Center. Vancouver's new mayor comes to power with a list of promises, many of them revolving around restoring the public's sense of safety. To do it, Ken Sim proposes hiring 100 new police officers, and the uncertain future of the Surrey Police Service might help him reach that goal. Amada Gahi reports. With the jubilation of election night now in the rear view. 
The new mayor in Vancouver has spent his first unofficial days on the job defending his biggest campaign promise. We want to get moving quickly on the 100 new police officers and 100 mental health nurses. Those police officers and mental health nurses are estimated to cost $20 million. And opponents in those who didn't vote for Ken Sim are still waiting to hear where that money may come from. We're not, we're not going to be cutting service levels. We're going to be looking at things like furniture. You know, a million dollars worth of furniture could represent 10 mental health nurses. I would choose the mental health nurses over furniture all day long. There's also significant worry from advocates for the homeless about what more police officers on the street may look like. I'm afraid it will mean um, more punitive treatment of people who are homeless. I'm afraid it will be mean more of them will get beat up by the police. Can you ensure her and others that are concerned about the downtown east side that that won't be the case? Yeah, well, first of all, homelessness isn't a crime. Mental health uh, issues aren't a crime. Having uh, an, addiction, uh, an addiction to a substance isn't a crime. That's why it was really important to make sure that we hired 100 mental health nurses as well. As mayor of Vancouver, we're going to make sure that we have a, a very empathetic uh, police um, you know, department. Is it a risk at all at the moment in your mind? Look, I, I think there are risks in uh, everything we do, um, but we feel confident that this is uh, something that is achievable. He adds the situation in Surrey and the potential breakup of the Surrey Police Service may help the VPD in recruitment. Imadagahi, Global News. In addition to the mayor's chair and park board, ABC Vancouver won big in the contest for Vancouver's school board. The party has promised to bring back school liaison officers. As Rumina Dea reports, Mayor-elect Sim takes the program's return to heart. Communities divided over cops in schools. The school liaison officer program dumped by the Vancouver School Board last year. But the city's new mayor is resuscitating it. I was one of the kids uh, that benefited from the school liaison officer program when I was growing up. Speaking from experience, Ken Sim believes the program is positive and effective. The gangs targeted targeted the Asian kids in, in grade 8, grade 9 and 10. And if it wasn't for the school liaison program, I would have been in a lot of trouble. And so I, I can give you, you know, hundreds of those stories. Kids confide in the officers. They, they've done it for years. And the officers are allowed to get ahead of that situation, right, where uh, gang recruiters are coming around and, and putting kids at risk. The VSB ended the 50-year-old program last year. An independent survey showed support for police in schools, but also great concern from racialized and marginalized students. Police do not create safety. Parent and community advocate Parker Johnson says there's no solid evidence the program improved safety for students. Across North America, there's been a push to remove police from schools and to reconstitute other notions around how do we create safety in schools, whether it's increasing the number of counselors, um, whether it's looking at things like restorative justice. The Vancouver School Board and the Vancouver District Parent Advisory Council refused our requests for on-camera interviews on this very important issue, both essentially saying they will give the new school trustees time to settle in. Sims party holding the majority on the new board, which will be sworn in November 7th. Romina Dea, Global News.
As a parent, it can be very difficult to see your child struggle in school despite your best efforts to help them succeed. And in some cases, Variety can step in to help. Here's the story of eight-year-old Jasper from Dawson Creek, who is now getting the education he deserves. He was really struggling. He was getting sent home for behavioral issues, and he was having outbursts, and he was just really upset all the time, and he hated school. So we, I'm like, hey, what can we do to support him? Jasper was diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder when he was almost six years old. And even though he was receiving support through school, it wasn't enough to help Jasper thrive. For the first part of the year, he ended up getting one-on-one, -on -one, but it was shared between two other kids. And I think that is great if that's where their support needs lie, but his support needs are greater than that. Jasper's pediatrician recommended he get a psychoeducational assessment to identify the strengths and weaknesses in Jasper's learning abilities. Jasper's assessment showed he is a visual learner and does well with visual aids. It also showed he is weaker in his reasoning skills than his peers. That information helps his educators create a plan which addresses his educational and behavioral needs. Now I have a psychologist saying, hey, this is what he needs, and now the school has the information so they can help him. Now he's got his, the support he needs for the next bit. When we get a psychiatric assessment in, like we did for Jasper, we do a school-based team meeting, and we take the recommendations from the assessment to help him with his program and to help him have some success in school. Imagine that was so loud. And the information also helps us find appropriate goals for his competency-based individual education plan um, and strategies to help him learn best in the classroom. Psychoeducational assessments often cost thousands of dollars and are financially out of reach for some families. To respond to the need across the province and to ensure children like Jasper are given the chance to reach their full potential, Variety has stepped in to cover these assessments. It's tough, especially right now, to be able to afford an extra two, between 1800 and three grand to be able to see where your child's support needs are. That's, that's a lot of money. And that is why your donations to Variety are so important, so kids like Jasper can get the help they need when they need it. Like it was a blessing to be able to receive the grant so that we can identify his support needs to get that going for him. And you can help kids like Jasper get the support they need. Just call 310 Kids to make a donation to Variety. And reminder, when you call in during tonight's news hour, your donation will be matched by Accent Inns up to $20,000. So please call 310 Kids now. Thank you, Irene and Fred Madden, whose name I just saw go by on the ticker. Coming up for their donation. Coming up, why it's dangerous to breathe in the Fraser Valley. Yeah, I don't even think it's good to be walking in it. The area with the worst air quality in the country right now. And coming up in sports, the Canucks jump out to an early lead again. Can they seal the deal this time? Wildfire smoke continues to cover much of the lower mainland. This picture is incredible, and it's especially bad in the Fraser Valley, where the air has been deemed a very high health risk. Catherine Urquhart has more on where all that smoke is coming from and when things might finally clear up. 
Air quality in Metro Vancouver and the Fraser Valley is horrible right now. A dense gray cloud of fine particulate matter is blanketing the entire region. Yeah, I don't even think it's good to be walking in it, but a lot of people still have to get their exercise. I brought my N95 mask, which seems to work. I don't smell the smoke, so right. I'm hoping that that's good enough. Metro Vancouver has issued an air quality advisory. Hardest hit is the Fraser Valley. The air quality health index is rated at 10 plus. So a 10 plus is certainly the highest end of the scale. Uh, and that's certainly a concern for um, you know pregnant women, the elderly, young children, uh, as well as infants. And you really do want to watch your exposure today. Forest fires in BC and Washington state are largely to blame for the poor air. More heat recently has been hotter, drier and windier. I think those factors resulted in fire growth. Making it even worse in Metro Vancouver, an inversion and lack of airflow. I think the U.S. Forest Service took the decision not to aggressively attack that fire. However, we see the consequences uh, hitting us in another way, which is very poor air quality. I grew up in Chilliwack and I have never seen the air pollution this bad. The good news? Experts believe our air will improve substantially later this week. So really we're watching Thursday for an improvement in air quality. So the improvement will probably start around noon in Metro Vancouver and then move into the Fraser Valley uh, through the afternoon. So really Friday we're looking at a significant improvement in air quality. Until then, vulnerable individuals are advised to stay indoors and limit physical activity. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Good catch. Yeah, when you're hauling fish out like that, it's tough to stay inside. Yeah, but, no uh, kidding. Yeah, we feel for all those people with breathing difficulties out there. And let's check in now on the weather forecast. Mm -hmm. We know a change is coming. Let's see when. Christy? Mm-hmm. Well, we're still advertising a Friday for the big change, and that's when we're going to see a more significant improvement in terms of the air quality across our region. Although on Thursday, we may see a slight improvement, but I'm not expecting an improvement tomorrow. Uh, I want to show you the areas that have been in included in the air quality advisory. It's not just the South Coast area, but it now extends in through the interior regions as well and up through the central interior also. So it's a widespread area, and that's because of that stagnant pattern that we have with the inversion trapping in that smoke. But Look at this. Just as of uh, about an hour ago, the air quality all across now Metro Vancouver South and the Fraser Valley is now at a level 10 air quality health index at what they call very high risk level. And even the northern Metro Vancouver is at a high risk level. So we've seen a substantial uh, change in that air quality health index, and I'm not expecting much of an improvement tomorrow. There is a front that's going to impact northern BC central regions tomorrow, but for our area, it's sort of status quo. So similar to what we saw today. Thursday is when we could see a little bit of cloud cover from that weak front moving in. That may move that smoke around a little bit, but not much. Tomorrow is when we're still expecting it to be very high. Thursday, bit of improvement, but more significant improvement expected on Friday. So expect sunshine with that smoke. Temperatures will range from about 18 to 19 degrees. We may see some areas inland warm up a tad more to 20 degrees. But overall, Friday, we're going to see a massive drop in temperature, rain fall will push in and that opens the door for more fall like weather. Although I urge you to remember over the weekend, it's not looking like a soaker. It looks like we could still enjoy some sunshine over the weekend, but it certainly is going to be cooler. Here's a look at the Agassiz area from today. Thank you to Liz Lynch showing the smoke widespread all across the region.
Ever. Uh, by the way, good job on matching your wardrobe to the sunset. Uh, again, Christy, I don't know how you do that. <laughs> Perfect tonight. Well, you're welcome. <laughs> it looks really good. You got to check the air check wow. after because it's really quite something. All right, Squires here with a look ahead to sports. Uh, if I just feel like Canuck Nation is going to be triggered by what you have to say well, about that. Um, I'm sure they're so already aware anything. of it. <laughs> sure, I'm sure they're already aware it happened again. <laughs> I think you already know what I mean. Also, the recovery of Nathan Rourke continues. He won't play this Friday's game, but he could play the following Friday against Winnipeg. There's a very good chance he could be dressing and playing the next week. And if he does play that game, that could mean that he'll be ready to play a full game by the time playoffs arrive. Also coming up, why the chief elections officer in Canal Flats felt a little bit of panic when all of the votes were counted on Saturday. So they still haven't won a game yet, right? No, but they got a point. Okay. That's, that's so it's good. like it's like a lovely parting gift on a game show. Singer sewing machine or a point for the standings. Uh, Thatcher Demko hasn't been his usual savior self so far this season. So tonight the Canucks gave Thatcher a break and put Spencer Martin in against Columbus, another team that, like the Canucks, started the year 0-3. Now Martin, last season... Always got a point for the Canucks, whether it was a win or a loss in overtime. He was 3-0-3. Okay, let's see how he does here. Boone Jenner stopped by Spencer Martin. Nice save. That keeps things donut donut. Then the Canucks are short a man, but they're going to get a shorthanded goal. Pedersen, Horvat, one nothing. That looked good. One more look. Pedersen on the penalty kill. That was a revelation by Bruce Boudreaux last year. Okay, now the Canucks will go up 2-0. Elias Pedersen finds the loose puck, hangs around the net like a good goal scorer should, and the Canucks have that dreaded two-goal lead, which, of course, would disappear. Uh, Justin Danforth in the second period finally gets Columbus on the board. That made it 2-1. Zach Wierenski, just after Columbus goes off a power play, gets that puck there. There's no way Martin's getting across to stop that one. One more look, and it's 2-2. But the Canucks get this one back and take yet another lead. And it's Bo Horvat. He also goes to the net. And when you go to the net like that, who knows? One might go in off your ankle, which is the case right there. So the Canucks have a 3-2 lead. But as we know, no lead is safe. Not one goal, not two goals, not three goals. And here comes Johnny Hockey. Johnny Gaudreau, just like he used to do with a Flames uniform on, by himself, scores 3-3. They went to overtime. Canucks didn't have a lot of chances in overtime, but here's a two-on-one, and it's Vladislav Gavrikov. 4-3, the final. Actually, in overtime... Columbus also had a three-on-oh and flat-out missed the net. You don't see that very often. Well, it's looking more and more like 
Nathan Rourke will be able to play quarterback for the BC Lions before the regular season ends and the playoffs begin. And obviously, that is the best case scenario for the Lions. Definitely progress. The, the word I keep hearing from our medical staff is ramp up, is to not go zero to 100. So everything's going good so far. You definitely can see um, this week from last week, he's doing much more and moving around way better. So. so what you're seeing is the continuation of Nathan Rourke's determined comeback to return to action. Rourke won't play for the Lions in Edmonton on Friday, but if things continue to trend upwards on the healthy arc that we've all been witnessing, Rourke is likely to suit up and see action in the Lions' final regular season game against the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Yeah, I think, I think we'll have to decide that depending on the situation, but I, I think it's going to be a deal where he wouldn't play the whole game, but he would play meaningful reps. It, wouldn't, it would be uh, getting back in there, get going, get playing, and um, we would do whatever is the best uh, scenario for the playoffs of having him ready to go. Um, I know he, he's itching to go and do more, and the doctors are just trying to make it be, be smart and um, see the big picture and uh, making sure that he's got the best chance to, to be there for the playoffs. The Vancouver Whitecaps gave Luis Martins a new contract running through the 2024 season. They also picked up the options for next season on Ryan Raposo, uh, Julian Gressel, Sebastian Burhalter and also keeper Isaac Bulmer. Right now, Vancouver has 22 players signed for next year. There will be more. Canada, Tanzania today at the U-17 World Cup. Canada had to win this game. And early on, Annabelle Chukwu gets taken down in the box. So that's a penalty kick for the Canadians. Amanda Allen steps up and deposits this. And Canada leads 1-0. But unfortunately, a bit of a scramble off a corner kick here. Veronica Mapunda will score for Tanzania. 1-1 is not the result Canada needed, so they are out of the Under-17 World Cup. And finally, to the Bronx. Yankee Stadium Game 5 rained out last night. Winner takes on Houston. And it's Aaron Judge finally sentencing Cleveland to a winter vacation and the Yankees get to go to the next round. There you go. What an end. All right. Thank you very much, Squire. Up next, the conundrum in Canal Flats. Still waiting to find out who their new mayor is. Well, the civic elections are over and people across BC now know who their mayor will be for the next four years, except for residents in one town where the mayoral candidates are tied. Yeah, it's a bit of a political pickle that could end up getting solved the old fashioned way. Kylie Stanton reports. I had to do something to uh, help the people understand who I am and what I'm about. The campaign is over and the votes have been cast. But Doug McCutcheon is going to have to wait a little while longer to find out whether he's done enough to secure the top job in Canal Flats. Over 300 people voted and so it just seemed to be uh, uh, totally unusual. The community he's hoping to serve can barely believe it. It's shocking actually. It was quite a surprise. The small village located 26 kilometers south of Fairmont Hot Springs has an estimated 661 eligible voters. 318 cast a ballot in last weekend's election. That's a turnout of more than 48 percent. But in a rare twist, the results for mayor were split right down the middle. 
two spoiled ballots and the count was 156 at the end for each. According to the Local Government Act, Section 149 requires a judicial recount in provincial court within 13 days of the election. If there is still a tie, the results will be determined by a draw. The name will be drawn out of a box and the winner declared right there. And it wouldn't be the first time back in 2018 when Peachland's mayoral candidates Cindy Fortin and Harry Goff were tied at 804 votes apiece. Their names were put into a box. I declare um, Cindy Fortin. Fortin's was polled and Goff graciously conceded. While those are the rules, voters here aren't so sure leaving it up to chance is the best approach. Seeing as it's a tie, I think it should be a re-vote. See if we could actually get more people. It'll be interesting to see what happens. McCutcheon was running against Mark Doherty, who told Global News he preferred to defer his comments until a winner is officially declared. And while McCutcheon admits he would like to see voters return to the polls a second time, the rules are the rules and he's happy to play by them. It is what it is, and we need to live with it and move on. Kylie Stanton, Global News. Very good outlook on everything. Good luck to both. They could just flip a coin, but... <laughs> Shootout. Penalty Penalty like at the World Cup. About one of these. Good one. Arm wrestle. See what, we'll bring you the results when we finally get them. All right, yep. before we leave you tonight, we want to update you on our Variety Week Kid Count. Yeah, thank you very much for your donations tonight. We've raised... Over $360,000 so far, which means Variety will be able to help 145 kids. And you still have an opportunity to donate. So get that number higher if you can. Go to variety.bc.ca or call 310KIDS. That's easy enough. But if you call tonight, your donation will be matched by Accent Inns. Thanks to them for being a part of this. All right, Christy Gordon with the matching uh, sunset sweater tonight. Uh, final word on the weather forecast. Sure, the sunset's gone now, but uh, we are expecting two more smoky days before the rain pushes in on Friday, everyone. So, uh, yes, the rain is coming. Fall is going to be here soon. All right, thanks, Christy, and thanks for watching, everyone. Have a good night. Good night, all. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.